Together, Wu Shan Shen Shen Wei Miao Fa Bai Qian Wan Jie Nan Zao Yu Wu Jin Jian Wan De Shou Chi Yuan Jie Ru Lai Chen Shi Yi the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I have come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Shifu Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra lecture. This is Christmas night, Christmas day night. It's December 25th in 2010. We're here in Berkeley, California, and we're going to look into the Flower Adornment Sutra, the Avatamsaka Sutra's Ten Grounds chapter. And, and my name is Hung Shur, and I'm back from down under, far away, and really looking forward to uh, getting back into the sutra with all of you. So please turn to page 15 in your sutra text. Shu Ye. While I've been away, um, Dharma Master Hong Zhe, uh, Marty Verhoeven, Professor Verhoeven, and Dharma Master Hong Chi have all uh, sat here and lectured on Saturday night and it's an honor to uh, to join with them and to uh, turn the Dharma wheel in this text. We need to first of all recite to invoke the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Abhatamsaka assembly. So you'll uh, you'll find those holy names, those sacred names, on the front cover of your sutra if you don't know. So please. Put your palms together and join with me in invoking the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Avatamsaka Assembly. Namo Oh, 
Okay, page 15 up at the top, the very beginning, first paragraph. Are you ready? Yo Tsu Shang Pin Shi Shan Ye Dao Shu Zhi Ching Jing Bu Chong Ta Jiao Tsu Jie Wu Gu Da Bei Fang Bian Bu Ju Zu Gu 悟觉神身。悟觉神身。因缘法故。因缘法故。成独觉称。成独觉称。Furthermore, when the supreme grade of these ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated to purity, and when one has not been Taught by others, but becomes enlightened on one's own. When one is not fully endowed with great compassion or expedient means, when one is enlightened through understanding of profound dharmas, of causes and conditions, one accomplishes the vehicle of those solitarily enlightened. Okay, great. Oh, it feels so good to, to get back into the sutra. Um, I've been traveling a lot, traveling to Singapore, to Australia, to New Zealand, and uh, spoke Dharma everywhere I went, but not the Avatamsaka Sutra, you should know. Um, it's uh, special conditions that allows us to hear this text and to, uh, mm, to, to go into it, to open the door and walk through. Um, so, here we are. What are we talking about? We're talking about the ten good deeds and the ten evil deeds. The second ground, where we are, to this point, has uh, gone into them one by one. We've talked about uh, how the bodhisattva... Um, doesn't kill, doesn't steal, doesn't commit sexual misconduct, then the four kinds of speech, doesn't lie, doesn't split people up with gossip, doesn't use profanity, and doesn't uh, talk frivolously. And most recently you heard about how the Bodhisattva doesn't let greed, anger, or delusion just run. You know, Everybody's got some in their mind. You, you've had thoughts today, I've had thoughts today. But the difference between a cultivator and a non-cultivator is when that rises, you don't just go, yeah, more is good. Yeah, I want to get angry. And yeah, I don't believe in cause and effect. Instead, we go, greed, uh, there's a good old greed. Let's stick to the middle, just enough, not too little. Anger, you go, uh, last time I got angry, I remember what happened. This time I'm going to... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Patience, patience, gotta have patience. Don't get angry. So, huh? And you get through. And then something arises and you go, that's a result of that cause. Cause and effect really is true. And because you do that, you cross over greed, anger, and delusion. 
That's cultivation, as, as Master Shrenhua defined it. So we heard about those ten things. Now, the sutra is stepping back a little bit and saying, we've got our ten goods and ten evils. We know what they are. Killing, stealing, lust. Then the four with the mouth, the three with the mind. And the ten goods are not letting those things go. And now the sutra says, okay, somebody who can do that, who instead of just going, yeah, kill, steal, lust, lie, uh, somebody who, who refuses to just let that go, gets a result. Things happen when you change your behavior that way. And the sutra is saying, the last couple lectures I think you've heard about what a bodhisattva, um, let's see, let me say again, the last couple lectures we've heard about not only the bodhisattva who engages in those, or doesn't, who does the goods and doesn't do the evils, he said, let's take a look at the shan shu'u, the ten goods and the ten evils themselves. What happens to a person who doesn't do the ten bads, but does the ten goods? What happens? Um, let me uh, let me take us back to page 13, if you don't mind. I know the we've heard about that, but I want to show us the whole sweep so we can get the get the the movement of the sutra. I'm up on page 13 up at the top. It says, Disciples of the Buddha, the Bodhisattva, Mahasattva, in this way, protects and maintains the ten wholesome karmic paths constantly without interruption. The Bodhisattva does the ten goods. Okay? That's to say, not, right? The ten. Three with the body, four with the mouth, three with the mind. Furthermore, the Bodhisattva makes the further reflection. Here's how the Bodhisattva thinks about it. He says, All living beings who fall into the evil destinies without exception, do so because of the ten unwholesome acts, because of the ten evil deeds. Therefore, says the Bodhisattva, I should myself practice proper conduct and encourage others to practice proper conduct. Why is that? If I myself can't do what I should do, it would be impossible to make others cultivate. All right? That's, that's really uh, clear thinking. What does the Bodhisattva say? He says, if you do the ten evils, you have a good chance of becoming an animal, a ghost, or falling to the hills, which is a lot of misery. And those who do become animals, ghosts, or hell beings do so because of killing, stealing, lust, lying, and delusion. Then he says, what? He says, i got to be a model. I have to practice what I preach. If I, don't, if I tell people, but I don't do it myself, Nobody's going to believe me. And who is the Bodhisattva? The Bodhisattva is somebody who has vowed to help people get out of their suffering. So instead of being a, what's called a hypocrite, instead of being a phony, the Bodhisattva says, I really should do the things I tell others to do. Because if I only tell them but don't do it, then I, I'm a paper tiger. I'm a phony. So... So you, this is, this is you know, good, solid, rational thinking. This, this is not lofty or distant. We get this right away. The Bodhisattva is saying, I have to practice what I preach. Right? So I have to be consistent. And 
If I'm going to try to save others but I don't do it, there's no power. There's no juice behind it. So this, this paragraph is pretty clear. Um, let me also point out the fact that what, what we're hearing about is just called ethics. This is, this, the Abhatamsaka Sutras is preaching ethics. It says, how do you behave as a person? If I want to be a person, what do I do? How do I, how do I get out of bed and say, today I want to live righteously? Okay? So if we have ever asked ourselves, what's the right thing to do in this situation? We're asking the same question that the Bodhisattva is answering right here. Okay, situation comes up. You have a choice to do something, whoops, or something right. What do you do? So the Bodhisattva has asked himself or herself that question, and this is his answer. He says, the ten good deeds are it. Plus, if I want to tell anybody else how to be a good person, I have to do it myself. Okay, so far so good. We've lectured on this already, this, this last couple weeks. What's next? Disciples of the Buddha, the Bodhisattva further, Bodhisattva Mahasattva further makes the following reflection. The ten unwholesome karmic paths are causes for undergoing rebirth in the hells, animals, or as a hungry ghost. The ten wholesome karmic paths are causes for receiving birth as a person or as a god up to the station of the summit of existence. What's this? He's saying, look what happens. Now we pulled away from the, the ten the one, two, three, four. Now he's looking at all ten together. He says, if somebody does the ten evil deeds, three with the body, four with the mouth, three with the mind, you can fall. He says you can actually be reborn out of, out of a human body, which is hard to return to once you lose your human body. Furthermore, he says, if you do the goods instead, look what happens. He says, this is funny language. We're going to clean this language up when we retranslate. If I were to say this in the, the way I would like to say it now, the ten good deeds bring you back as a person or as a god or as the highest kind of god. What does it mean, the station of the summit of existence? In Chinese it is... Uh, what is it? Um, what that means is, we've heard in different lectures that there, there are 28 uh, levels of heavens. There are many heavens. There's six in the desire realm, which is our realm. There are uh, 28 in the Brahma heavens. And there are four in what are called the formless realm. So there are three levels of heavens, desire, form, and formless. The station of the summit of existence is the highest of the top four. What does it say? It says, if you do the ten good deeds, you can come back as a human for sure. Not in the hells, not in the animals, not in the ghosts. You come back as a human or you can become a god. Even to the point of the highest levels of the gods. Okay. So, what does that say? It says... First of all, people can become gods. Right away, I mean, we could do stop and lecture no further tonight on anything but that. Because, look at that. Did you ever consider the possibility that instead of having this kind of body, you could have a god's body? 
instead of coming out of the door tonight and being on McKinley Avenue in downtown Berkeley, you could be, you know, up in the Suyama heaven or in the Tushita heaven or in the Brahma heavens. Where, what do you, what's it like in the Brahma heavens? As a Brahma god, they say, and this is theory, I haven't, I don't remember my last lifetime as a Brahma god, but they say that you're in Samadhi all the time. You're in Chan Samadhi, Chanding, which is a very lovely place to be. Your mind is so clean that you don't ever have doubts, don't ever have anger, don't ever have low self-esteem, you don't ever have a moment when you feel confused because your mind is genuinely different at that point. If you're in dhyana samadhi all day long, first of all, you feel really good. What's it like being a god? You never have aches and pains. <laughs> right? You never feel cold. I mean, it's cold in this monastery. It's wet and cold outside in Berkeley. California is raining tonight. And boy, tonight, I mean, I'm shivering because it's a monastery. We don't heat it. So. so you don't like that. It's not that way in the heavens. In the heavens, they say that you have a temperature control in your body because of why? Fubao, your blessings. Where does the Fubao come from? you know how to live as a human. You do righteous stuff. You create the blessings by doing the shirshan, the ten wholesome deeds. Shirfu would always tell us, how do you get born in the heavens? He would say, hold the five precepts, do the ten good deeds. That's how you get to be born as a god. And we hear that and go, yeah, yeah, Shirfu, that's cool. But what, stop. Wait, what does that mean? That means you don't have to get in the car and get back on, you know, on 980 heading south past the Colosseum to get down to Fremont or to San Jose or, you know, you don't have to get off at Alameda and get over the bridge and through the tunnel and go through, you know, car exhaust and the possibility of dying in an automobile accident any second. And it's like, you know, none of that. In the heavens, it's very nice in the heavens. Unbelievably nice in the heavens. Your clothes, they say, are exactly the way you want them. How much time do you spend with your wardrobe? Have you gotten your winter fashions? Have you looked at the catalog and thought, that's a nice, I like that scarf, that goes with my shoes and my purse. You know, it's okay. But in the heavens, it's like you think of it and boom, like that. No time with eye magnets, you know, no time at Saks. It's just, boom, there it is. And it's just right. The fabric is right. The weight is right. The cut is right. It, the color, don't think about it. The ter- you know, perfect. You never show up dressed inappropriately. That's one of the blessings of being a god. Seriously, they say one of the blessings of being a god is clothes are just the way your mind wants them. You don't like that? Switch it. Think it. Poof. You know. How about that? Wowee. Where I have been in New Zealand, that would be very helpful because the weather, they go through four seasons every single day. 24 hours, four seasons in New Zealand. Oh, that's nice to be able to switch instead of carrying a jacket and a hat and a scarf in case, you know. Okay, what else is it like in the heavens? Food. Oh, heavenly food, can you imagine? 
Now, if you're in the dhyanas, mind you, you don't eat very much. Why? Chan ye wei shi fa xi chong man. You take dhyana bliss as food, filled with the joy of dharma. Okay? Seriously, that's where that line comes from. It's the description of the heavens. If you're in dhyana samadhi, you're not hungry. Your body feels really, really good all the time. And when you do take food, you know, it's like perfect. That's what they say, the food in the heavens. Imagine. Okay? I have been in a ah, in Sydney, not this trip, but two trips back, we went to this restaurant in downtown Sydney. I didn't know at the time, but it's supposed to be, are you ready? One of the five best restaurants in the world. Somebody takes ranks them, right? I had no idea. This layperson wanted to take us to a restaurant. They had to make reservations 12 months in advance. They're taking reservations for 2011 winter now, summer in Australia. Seriously, seriously. And I, I was like, what was I doing? I was talking at a conference. I had an hour and 15 minutes for lunch. Half an hour of that was transportation. And furthermore, it was our only chance to have a board meeting during lunch. So I would have been very happy with a bowl of noodles and a piece of fruit. That would have been just about right, given the time. What did they do? This person had to take us to this restaurant. It was, it's a Japanese restaurant, vegetarian restaurant. Right? So they come out and they sit there and it's one, you eat what they cook that day. No choices, right? Fixed menu. Right? It's that kind of place, right? So we're in this room, there's 10 of us around this big table, we're having our board meeting and the waiter is trying to do his shtick. The waiter comes in, hi, I'm Jason, I'll be your waiter today, your servant. You know, Thanks Jason, you don't vote, right? When, we, when it's time to say vote, you don't vote, all right? So we gotta vote. Who, all in favor, you know, it's like, Jason's like a little confused because people come in there for a dining experience, okay? And it's like, they don't hold board meetings and you know, we had our private room. So he's in there and they bring the first course and they set the plate down and the plate is this big. They set the plate down and the portion of the food is this big. It's lost in the middle of this big plate, you know, and you go, where's the food? Oh, that's pretty. Is it food? You know, and it's done. It's just like, oh, I mean, it's this, you know, it's this, you've read about it. Like, there it is. And you, you go, you know, nibble, and it's like, that was good, I think. I'm sure it was good. You know, it must have been good. That's it. And then they take the plate away, come back with the next course. Big plate, tiny portion, like that. Big, and it's, it's vegetarian, but it's, you know. So we're going by the third course, and there's like six of these plates, and that's it. And the big thing about this restaurant is the desserts. They're famous, world-famous desserts. I had to get back to my conference. So I said, can you, uh, can you put it in a box and I take it with me? And he's going... You can't do that, you know. No, we don't do. That's not the way we do it here, you know. You're paying. I think the ten of us came to to twelve hundred dollars. You know, and reservation a year is like insane. And it was 
not pleasant because I went away thinking, I wish I'd had a sandwich (laughs) because my stomach was empty and I'd had this dining experience that I did not appreciate and paid ten times too much for the, you know. (sighs) That's one of the five best restaurants in the world. Compared to the heavens, (laughs) you get the point I was talking about. Compared to the heavens, right? The heavens is like, what do you like? How much do you like? How hot do you want it? What kind of flavor do you want? Poof, there it is. Mmm, yummy, right? So gods are always like, always satisfied. What's that called? Fuba, the blessings. Where do the blessings come from? Feng xing shi shan shou chi wu jie. High precepts and the ten good deeds. All right? So, that's what he means when he says the ten wholesome karmic paths are causes for being born as a person. But as a person, what's it like? It's Bill Gates' city, you know. Bill and Melinda Gates. Things are the way you want them because you have plenty of wherewithal. Lots of money. Lots of blessings. Or as a god, just like I'm talking about. Or even at the highest gods. Now, when we get to the formless realm, that's another story. What I was describing in saying that you don't feel hungry because you're in dhyana, that's the form realm. Su, jie. Those are the, called the Brahma gods. Fan Tian, Fan Tian Wang, the gods of the Brahma heavens, right? They are in that chanding all the time that state of dhyana samadhi. When you get to the wu si jie, the four heavens of the formless realm, guess what? No body left. Only consciousness. You're so pure. You are so, your cultivation is so advanced that this is no longer needed. You're in a state of supreme bliss and the body is gone the formless realm. There are only there are four, four heavens there. So it says even up to be being in that level of heaven, that's uh, that's the result of the same thing, the ten good deeds. But this is interesting. This always fascinated me. It, we you know, Shifu, Master Shenhua would describe the heavens and then he would say, Sounds really good, huh? And he would say, Don't go there. Hmm? you just like teased us and you say, don't go there? You know? And we'd say, why, Shirvu? He would say, because it's very easy to get there, get attached to the pleasure, and forget to cultivate. And guess what? Just like any place that's still in samsara, there's a time when the blessings run out and you fall. And you come right back to McKinley Avenue in downtown Berkeley. California in 2010 with the rain and the cold and the freeway. No, I don't like freeways that much. Freeways are scary. Noisy, ugly, dirty, scary. I'd much rather walk. Mind you, if you have to get somewhere in a hurry, a car is the best choice right now, but our way of doing freeways is dangerous. And yeah, you know. So, if you're born in the heavens, it's easy to fall. It's still within samsara. It's still within mortality. We're still... Gods die. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. Gods die. Amazing idea, isn't it? You never think about that. 
Do the Christians talk like that? They sure don't. <laughs> Count on it. They don't talk like that. Do the Hindus talk about Brahma dying? No, 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 no. Brahma does. I'm sorry, you don't understand. No, 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 no. Brahma didn't die. Brahma's everything, everything. Come on. You know, well, Buddha says, no, Brahma's God. He dies at some point. Their lifespans are long, but they die. Do they talk about Allah dying? Boy, if you were a Muslim and you heard that, you'd be upset because that's blasphemy. Gods die. They're still in birth and death. They're still mortal. All right. So that's why Sherpa said don't go there. Now, this is also very interesting, which is what? If you have to go to the heavens, you want to go to the heavens, it's a choice, go to the form realm. Go to what are called the Wu Bu Huan Tian, the five heavens where you don't return. Why? Because, well, that's one choice. There's another choice, which is go to the Tushita heavens, inner court. Of the heaven, of the places you can be in the heavens, there are two places that are really good. One is the five heavens of no return, and the other one is the Tushita heavens, inner court. Why is that? Because the heavens, you know, we talk about geography. This is sacred geography from the Buddhist point of view. If you say, where, the, where would you like to live? Would you rather live in Detroit or in San Francisco? Well, many people would say, San Francisco, please. Not Detroit. Would you rather live in Brooklyn or would you rather live in White Plains? Some people say, I'd rather live in White Plains. Right? Would you rather live in Hangzhou or would you rather live in Wuhan? Wuhan is like, the air is so thick you can cut it with a knife. It's just, take a chunk of air. It's a solid pollution. Right? And Hangzhou is pretty clean. All right. If you have a choice, go to the Doshuai Totian Neyuan. Why? Maitreya Bodhisattva is there speaking Dharma. This is geography. In the heavens, there's lots of places to go. Go to where... Maitreya Bodhisattva, the Buddha-to-be, is speaking the Dharma. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Can you, you have a choice? Yeah. That's, that's what I've heard. You, you think, I mean, tell you the truth, I don't know. I can't tell you how to get to the Tushita heaven, but I have a clue. I'm not clueless. One clue is, do the ten good deeds. Now, when do you hand your passport over and have it stamped Tushi to heaven? You know, um, one thing you can do is make a vow. Say, I want to be born with Maitreya. It's not Yuan Sheng Xifang. We say, vow to be born in the West. You can say, Yuan Sheng Longhua. I want to be born in the Dharma Flower Assembly. That's, he's already come down to become a Buddha at that point. But that's, that's one thing that you hear is vow to be reborn with Maitreya in the dragon, in the dragon flower assembly. Longhua Fa Hui. But you have to be quick because it's three days long. The dragon, Maitreya's Buddha's Dharma assembly lasts three days. But that's here on earth. He's already become a Buddha, they say. So, if you want to catch him in the heavens, it's kind of like, you know, we got uh, 
what would you say, uh, Sly and the Family Stone are playing, you know, the, the, the Roxy. You go down to the Roxy and catch the act. You have to catch Maitreya in the Tushita Heaven now. Um, I think it's done by vows. You say, I want to go there. And uh, I actually don't know who goes where, how you do it. But it's kind of, here's, here's a way to think about it. They say in the Pure Land, they have the Jopin Lianhua, nine grades of lotuses in the Pure Land of Amitabha. And if you read the Amitabha Sutras, they talk about every grade, what it's like, how to get there. So you can vow because of Amitabha's vows. Amitabha says, if you want to go here, you recite the Buddha's name, you recite my name, you do the good deeds and you go there. I think for the heavens, it's probably the same. If you do a little bit of good, you can go to the four heavenly kings heaven. That's the lowest one. A little better good, you can go to, to the heaven of the 33 with chakra. That's the, the, uh, the heaven of the 33 gods. He got there by rebuilding a temple, getting a lot of people to do it together. So above that is the Suyama heaven. Above that is the Tushita heaven. But Shurfu was really explicit. And this, this is so interesting because it's concrete. He says, don't go to the outer garden, the outer hall of the Tushita heaven. Get to the inner hall. Because the outer hall is still subject to the four disasters that come at the end of the eon. When our world is destroyed at the end of its cycle, fire burns up, water arrives, wind and if you're in the Tushita Heaven's inner court, you're immune to all that. It doesn't get burned. So that's a good place to go. All right? So if you find out, make sure you send us email and tell us, turn left when you get to the Suyama. <laughs> don't, don't turn right because then you wind up in the wrong court. So what about the heavens of no return? The five Tian in the Brahma Heaven, that's the form realm, the form realm, that's where Arhats go. Arhats who are already, they've ended birth and death. We've heard about seven time returning, the one once returner, the never returner, and the full arhat. The, the three, the seven, the one, and the no returners are in different levels of the Brahma heavens waiting for their time to end birth and death. Okay, this may be like a whole bunch of information for you, but this is how Sherpa would describe it. He would say, all right, so you are cultivating. You're really applying effort, working hard, and your meditation is working for you. You've already realized the fruition of our hardship. You have you've ended birth and death, but not completely. You are a shengwen, a stream winner, sound here. You are a yuanjue, solitary and awakened Buddha, in other words, an arhat. But you're not all the way through first, second, third, fourth stage arhat, much less are you a Buddha. But you're close. During that time, you are in the five heavens of no return, cultivating away, waiting for your your life to end so you can be reborn one of seven times, one time, the last time, and then an arha. So this is called Buddhist 
geography. This is a whole study all by itself. It's called the heavens. Okay? So, interesting. There's a lot to learn, huh? How do we get to the heavens? Ten good deeds. So what is the sutra telling us? It's saying there's a reward for doing the ten good deeds. It's a good idea because there's reward. You get something back if you do the ten good deeds. What is it like if you do the ten good deeds? You know what you're called? Loser. You are a loser. You're a stick in the mud. You're no fun. You are... On the Christmas party at the office, you're the one who refuses to drink the punch, right? You're no fun. You don't go to Reno. You jump off the bus when it's time to go to Las Vegas. You are no fun. You're one of those weird people. I had a friend tell me that in in Taiwan, uh, Taiwan is one day ahead, so it's 26th. On uh, Christmas Eve, some friends said, let's go out to dinner. And, of course, they hadn't made a reservation. They were in Taipei. They went from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant to restaurant. Full. Every restaurant was full to the gills. How many were eating vegetarian? Almost none. What were the popular places? Where the fish are behind the glass going waiting for you to pick it out, cut its head off, throw it in the pot, and eat it. That's just Taiwan. All over the world on Christmas Eve, people were killing to eat. If you don't do that, and you say, I'll be happy with the broccoli and the tofu, what do they call you? No fun. You're no fun. You're a loser. What's the reward? Think of the food, and it comes. Right? Anything you want to eat, the way you like it. There's a reward, loser. So, loser from the point of view of the world that says, enjoy your senses, dig in. Never mind. Right? Life is short, enjoy. And that's good, enjoyment's good until you start killing to enjoy. Once you kill to enjoy, suddenly it's like, oops, somebody else didn't enjoy it. Whoever's life ended because you wanted to eat their body. Okay, so you get the point. So the ten good deeds have a reward. It's just not here. Here you're called loser. Loser. Got to get my mic right. Loser. Right? No fun. Wallflower. Party pooper. You don't know how to enjoy life. You don't drink. You know. Okay, well, yeah. True. But there's a reward. Cause and effect is true. So, that's the point. You can be reborn. Here's how you get to be a god. And I love the idea that humans can be gods. Like that totally flies in the face of theistic theology the world over. It says, you don't become a god. God is creator, you are a creature. Sutra says, no, no, here's what you do. Here's the path. You want to become a god? Do this. You get there. Now, yeah, um, 
Mm. I can't hear. Can't you see what loud? You're, you're asking? You're thinking, okay. Thinking, thinking out loud. Valerie is putting pieces together here, making her case, convincing herself this is interesting idea. She said, is it the case that, or isn't it the case that people who go to the heavens are their gods? That is to say, you know, now, let me say, I'll, I'll get to your question, but here's the problem. In Buddhism, they're not saying gods, they're saying devas. Deva is just like saying human. It's just a different dharma realm. It's a different incarnation. The problem is, in English, when we say God, we have one definition for that word. There's one God. We are in a monotheistic world, by and large. right? So God only means capital G, the big guy. All right. So that's the problem. It's like the word love. When you say love, right away we've got all this baggage. We think love story, the movie, you know. We think love, love you forever and forever, love you with all my heart. We think Beatles, love songs, you know. That love is just this four letters that contain all the different kinds of love. There's maternal love, the love you receive from your mom. There's Jesus' love for all humanity, which is a wonderful thing. There's compassion stuck into that word. There's agape, this selfless stuck, you know. So love has to do all that work. God is the same kind of thing. God pretty much means capital G, that patriarchal dude sitting on the throne, looking pissed. <laughs> I am a jealous God. That's what we think. In Buddhism, Tien doesn't mean that. Tien means deva, of which there are many, 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 many kinds. Devas are numerous, and it's not capital G God. Mm. Ah, fear me. And then the lesson is God's love. For God so loved the world that he sacrificed his kid. And it's way... This is all mixed up, right? You have to come through that theology to know how confusing that is. So, in Buddhism, devas are different. Devas are, it's just in the saying, different body. Same continuum. Your consciousness is still Valerie's consciousness, but you're in a very different body. Okay, so back to her question. That was just a footnote on the word, God is not tien, tien is not God. So, here you are, Valerie's question was, so people are in Deva's bodies and if they don't cultivate, they lose their chance to be a Buddha, right? Right. Precisely. Same for people. It's no different. And what is the, what is the criteria? The criteria is called the Bodhi Resolve. Putishi. So if you are here... Now, I'm going to step back from discussing Deva's and say... Why did Master Hua always tell us the heavens are fantastic, don't go there? Because being a human, they say, is the very best reincarnation. If you have a human body, it's the very best place to be in the entire 
pantheon of living beings in the entire Dharma realm. Why is that? It's precisely because when we step out of this building tonight, we've got wind and rain and cold and cars and you get home and you have to turn off the alarm and you have to turn the lights on and you have to, you know, all the stuff that just comes with being a human being, it's a lot of suffering. It's not easy. It's, it's effort to be a human being. And we are people who have food in our refrigerators and heat in the, stove, in the furnace. How about the majority of people who don't know if there will be food tomorrow? Man, the stuff that is coming out of the Sudan... Get ready, boy. There is a humanitarian disaster about to arrive, which is, well, I won't go into it, but check it out. Just watch. The Sudan has discovered oil. They're having a civil war for, you know, for a long time now. And uh, the South, which are the bad guys, have now discovered oil. And they're going to cut off they're going to separate and the poor people who are up north are going to be cut off from all the wealth of the country and starve. Here's another one. What's it like being a human? Why is this a good place to cultivate? I just read a very, very interesting story. Jimmy Carter, bless his heart, our 82-year-old ex-president, has devoted himself to eradicating the guinea worm. Who knew from guinea worms? Guinea like, you know, New Guinea. G-U-I-N-E-A. Guinea worm. It's a worm. It's like a tapeworm. And before he vowed to eradicate the guinea worm, it was killing hundreds of thousands of people. It's a parasite. And it's yicky beyond belief. It's a parasite that lives in polluted water, murky brown water, and it used to infest most of sub-Saharan Africa and also East, Af uh, East Africa, which is Sudan, Somalia, over there, Ethiopia. Which is to say, if you had a puddle of dirty water, there are people and camels who would come right up and drink from it because water, people who live in the desert, often that water, most often, that water had these little guinea worm spores in it. You drink it, and then about six months later, this growth happens on your arm. It gets red and pussy, and then this, these worms come out that gestated in your digestive tract, and they came out, and if you weren't treated, they'd kill you. This happened to hundreds of thousands of people a year. Jimmy Carter vowed to eradicate it, and it's almost gone. Now there's something like 40,000 deaths, 9,000 deaths a year. And they have pushed this worm to the very most remote parts of Sudan and other places where people have no education. They don't, they, all they know is to when they see water they drink. They don't think, oh, maybe a parasite. So they've sent these teams of volunteers to go out there to educate the people, don't drink this water, filter it. Filter it before you drink. Filter it. They say they have to tell them a hundred times before they change behavior. And every time they do this, one less person is likely to get infested. And all it takes, this, this is a fascinating story, all it takes is they get like the whole village 
filtering their water so they don't get guinea worm. And one nomad who's got it comes out of the desert, brings his camel down, bathes in the water, drinks some and spits it out, and the guinea worm is back in the pond. And then one person in the village forgets to strain and they get it. It's that hard. They're trying to, to actually eradicate it, just the way polio and smallpox. Smallpox is pretty much gone, right? Polio is pretty much gone because people hunted it, hunted it, hunted it. They're doing it now for guinea worm. And Jimmy Carter has vowed, he said, I want to outlive the last guinea worm. That's his vow. He wants it to be gone before he dies. Talk about hero, right? This is something that killed hundreds of thousands of people. You never hear about it because we don't have, you turn the tap on in Berkeley and you get drinkable water. Not so in large parts of Africa. So, human realm, pretty good place to be born because we got guinea worm and we also have Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and people like him, you know. So, there's suffering and the chance to transcend suffering. And when we hear the Dharma, we go, yeah, suffering, I know it. I know about the guinea worm. I know about not having food. And I would like to cultivate. Better than the heavens, because in the heavens, not only no guinea worm, think about the food, you got it. Think about the clothes, you got it. No suffering, relatively speaking. If you're in Dhyana Samadhi, there's really no suffering. So, Valerie, to answer your question, that's true. Gods in the heavens who don't cultivate will, you know, they will end up uh, coming back but they might become a human and then they're another chance. You know. And they won't become a Buddha until they do what the sutra is telling us to do is cultivate. That, does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. As I understand, her question is about like the, the road map through the destinies. If they have enough blessings, not virtue, but blessings, to get into the heavens, do they become a human before they fall into the evil destinies? or what's, Pardon? Shouldn't they stop in the human realm first? What I understand is it's very much like a bank account. Really like a bank account. That is to say, when you use it up, it's gone. What do you do? Invest more. But if you don't, if you're in the heavens and you have a big bank account of blessings, and all you do is, they say, xiang shao, use up your blessings, when they're gone, you change bodies. You leave that realm. When you use up your blessings as a human, you change bodies. You can, you know. But it's very fluid, and what do you do? Cultivate again. Cultivate your blessings. So they, you invested in the bank. Oh, did I hear a good story. We haven't even gotten to tonight's... Okay. Um, this is a really, really good story. 
I got this out of Smithsonian Magazine. A guy wrote a book about a suitcase that was handed to him by his mother. The suitcase, it was actually a trunk, was in the attic of their home in somewhere in New York State. And she mentioned that the suitcase had come from Canton, Ohio. I've, I grew up not too far from Canton, Ohio. It's an industrial town. And when the depression in the 30s hit the entire country, people in Canton, Ohio suffered a lot. What was it like? Talk about riches to rags. We usually say rags to riches, how a poor person strikes it rich. It's the other way around. When the Depression came in the 30s, there were many people who were full of blessings who suddenly, suddenly, like within a year, found themselves without a roof over their heads. So the story talked about this man who happened to be the grandfather of the guy who wrote this book, who got the trunk. His grandfather was a man named Stone, something Stone, and he survived the Depression. He was able to float. He had just the right occupation. He made clothes or something, and he managed to survive because he didn't lose all his assets. And he was he had a really good heart. He had super powerful blessings. So he put an ad at Christmas time in the back page of the newspaper, and the ad said, This economic climate has hit everyone very hard. Many people of diligence and good faith have, through a series of circumstances, lost everything. said, I have been blessed by you know, fortune or fate, not knowing it was really cause and effect, been blessed by fortune or fate to be a person of means. I still have some money at this hard time. If you, my fellow uh, hard-working American, wishing to remain anonymous and not wanting to be beholden to anybody, so in other words, not wanting charity, if you would write me a letter telling me about your circumstances, I would be happy to make a gift to you at this Christmas season, completely anonymously. So please write to this address, so and so and so. And he signed it, um, B V dot, V I D O T, Vido, which was an, uh, an anagram from his three daughters' names, Virginia, Deborah, Teresa. So he, he was anonymous, right? And he wrote it with the utmost respect because why? People don't want to receive charity, they don't want to be considered beggars. All right. So he said, Write me a letter, tell me your story, and I'll give you money at Christmas. So he got hundreds of letters, hundreds of letters. What did he do? He selected from these letters is the, the ones that he considered really uh, appropriate 
and he sent them five dollars each which in the depression was a hundred dollars basically five dollars each and he did it from beginning to end anonymously all right those letters got saved the letters they wrote in Canton Ohio the hundreds of letters of people with their sad stories the man who wrote the book had no idea that this was his grandfather. His mother gave him the trunk. He opened the trunk. He found all these old letters, many of them hard to read because this was uh, 70-year-old letters. And in a few of them, he found this clipping from the newspaper, the Canton Observer or something like that, the Canton newspaper. And he saw the clipping five or six times and said, oh, B. Vido, Vidat, who is that? His mom said, that's your grandfather. That was my grandfather who put that ad in the paper and gave $5 to all these people? She said, yeah. So he took the letters, read them all, transcribed them, wrote them down, then went out to find the children of the people who were alive and to see if he could find out what happened when they got the five bucks. Really good story. He found one survivor who actually received the $5 and many children and grandchildren who said, yeah, I remember when my parents got that $5. What happened? There was one woman who's now 98 who received that $5. And what did she do? She said, oh, that meant the world to us at Christmas. I bought clothes for my brothers and sisters and a turkey for the family at Christmas. You know. So, this is called blessings. All right? So, this, this man, Mr. Stone, who wanted to be an anonymous benefactor at Christmas time, put the ad in the paper. He had blessings. So, he was able to, to give. And don't you know, by doing that, he planted blessings. So, it's like, here we are as people, and we're able to hold the five precepts and practice the ten good deeds, thereby planning blessings. And it's so interesting that the lessons you can draw from this, such as if you think now, oh, I have to hang on to every penny I have because when it's gone, you don't know what's going to happen. What's that? That's blessings for this life. Nothing for the next life. If you say instead, wow, this is like the water is flowing through my life. I better send some of the water over here and over here because I just, it's not mine. I just flows through my life and I use it well to water and nurture. You're enjoying the benefits of giving in this life and in the next life because you're planting blessings. So it's almost... The more you give, the better your future. The more generous we are now, the more we'll be able to give in the future. So blessings create blessings if you plant them. Where on the other hand, stinginess stops the blessings. And at the same time, Shifu would say, If you can endure a little bit of discomfort, 
you put an end to discomfort. If you enjoy your blessings, you put an end to your blessings. So, look at India. Mother India. They say that in the Buddhist time, India was a place of incredible blessings. Fertile land, big trees. All of the... Everything grew big and rich and fertile. But India went through kings who just squandered everything and then went to war over and over again, fighting and fighting. India now is a place of few blessings and much suffering. America doing the very same thing. We're fighting two, count them, two wars. Even though one has been declared an end, it's not. We are ripping a hole in the earth and pumping the oil, the earth's blood out into the ocean, killing everything it touches. That's called squandering your blessings. We have cut down all but the last 5% of the redwoods. We are digging up the toxic sludge, the coal ash that flowed out of the mine in West Virginia, polluting everything it touches is deadly poison. And they're not even pursuing claims. People in West Virginia who got just decimated by this, oops, the sludge spilled. Ugh, you know. So we are following India in our behavior now. What's going to happen? Enjoying your blessings ends your blessings. We are heading towards a time of suffering here. It's just so visible. Um, article I read the other day about food waste. Scary. The way we waste food. We don't think. The, one of my conclusions when I go to these vegetarian conferences is sad. I go to every year to the, the biggest vegetarian gathering of doctors and dietitians and health experts and athletes and in the world and I've been doing it now for eight years. The number of vegetarians in the world and vegans in the world hasn't grown much. Not really. Still pretty much the same people who are not afraid of being called loser on Christmas Eve because you eat broccoli instead of fish or turkey or duck or pig or ham, Christmas ham. Right? Not much. Hasn't grown very much. Isn't that funny? That's our world. This is our Saha world. So people who cherish their blessings, sadly enough, pretty constant number. You'd wish that people would wake up and start to help themselves, but we don't. We, we see just in front the next bite. Okay, anyway. There we go. Let's look on here. Bottom of page 13. Furthermore, when the supreme grade of these ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated by means of wisdom, and when one's mind is low and inferior, when one fears the three realms, and because one is deficient in great compassion, when one's understanding comes from hearing the sounds of others, one accomplishes the vehicle of sound hearer. All right. This paragraph, the paragraph we read tonight, and the paragraph that follows, is talking about something really radical in the Buddhist world. 
let me let me describe what it is. This is a critique of what are called the su shan. What do you call it? The the su sheng ba jie, the four sages dharma realms. When we talk about living beings, mostly we say liu dao lunghui, the six spoked path. We talk about the realms of reincarnation, okay? Hells, ghosts, animals, asuras, humans, and devas. That's the one we're familiar with, because that's we're in that one, and we see the coming and the going, the coming and the going. That's called samsara, shengsi, the realm of birth and death. That's where we are, mortality. There are four more in the ten dharma realms. There's the sound hearers, the Pracheka Buddhas, solitary Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and Buddhas. Those are the four sages realms. And usually we don't talk about them very much because it's nobody sitting here can tell us what it's like, I don't think, unless you're really a Bodhisattva and then you wouldn't tell anyway. So what's it like? Well, we can read the sutras and find out the theory. So rarely do we hear about what it's like to be a sound here, a solitary Buddha, a Pracheka Buddha, a Bodhisattva, the Avatamsaka is the Bodhisattva story, or a Buddha. Not only do we not hear about it, we never hear a critique of the first two, that there's something wrong with those two. If you study the Theravada tradition from the Pali language, that's to say Sri Lanka, Thailand, Burma, Cambodia, Laos, parts of Vietnam, and wherever those monks went, which includes Australia, which includes Sri Lanka, I mean uh, New Zealand, and also, of course, North America and Europe. If you listen to the Theravada, the Arhats, the supreme highest vehicle, you do not hear a critique of that as being inferior in any way. They don't have the Bodhisattva path as part of their worldview. It's just not there. So these three paragraphs only exist in the Mahayana tradition. Two of them are saying, Arhats and Prache- what is it, Pracheka or Solitary? Solitary Enlightened? They're not there yet. I just want to point out and say that that's an understanding that exists only in our tradition. If an our, if a Maha, if a Theravada monk, you know, if, if Ajahn Pasano was sitting here, he would go, <coughs> "Well, uh, could I say something about <laughs> respectfully understanding?" You know. So, what is this saying? What is an arhat? The supreme grade of the ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated by means of wisdom. What does that mean? It means you've done three good deeds of the body, four good deeds of the mouth, three good deeds of the mind. You cultivate by means of wisdom. It means mostly you meditate. You see through attachments. You're able to renounce. You let go. You don't carry a, you don't wear a wristwatch. You don't drive a vehicle. You don't touch money. 
That's what the bhikkhus of the forest tradition, they really renounce. They do a really good job of living purely. They all wear the same robes. Not like Mahayana. What do you wear? Well, that's what I washed. You know, the other one's in the laundry. But I wore that. They're really pure. They renounce. What else? They cultivate the ten wholesome paths by wisdom. But their mind, it says, is low and inferior. Ooh, which Theravada monk is going to agree? Furthermore, they fear the three realms. The hell's animals and the ghosts. They really don't want to go there. What does a bodhisattva do? Goes willingly. First door bodhisattva, is he afraid of the three realms? No. What else? They are deficient in great compassion. Uh, yeah. From the point of view of Guanyin Bodhisattva, who says, living beings are numberless, I bow to save them all. What does the Arhat say? You can't save yourself. What are you talking about living beings? Save yourself first. Then we'll talk about some airy-fairy living beings. Right? Very different. When one's understanding comes from hearing the sounds of others, Sheng one, sound hearer, voice hearer. It means that you, your inspiration comes from hearing about liberation from suffering only. Then you become a sound hearer. In other words, an arhat of the first stage. All right? So, hear what I'm saying? This is a critique of a sage. Now, let's put it in perspective. If uh, the vehicle of sound here, meaning an arhat, if an arhat walked into the Berkeley Monastery and sat down in this first seat where the monks sit, we would all go, we'd bow to him. He would be radiant, he'd be shedding light. You know, why? No desire. Desire is ended. They're full of light. They have ended birth and death. They're a sound here, the shravaka. Right? So, I mean, understand. Why does the sutra criticize him? Because the sutra is talking about the bodhisattva. It's trying to get people to make that rarest of the rarest of the rare resolve, which is to cultivate on behalf of others. The putishin, the bodhi resolve, is the highest possible thought a human can have which is I know I'm going to die there's no doubt this body's going to go away meanwhile while I have this body I would like to benefit others as I as best I can I want to become a Buddha in the future that's my ultimate goal but I have to live in the world as it is so while I'm here I want to transfer merit to benefit others. Even my thoughts, I want to help others. How does it boil down in real life? Here I am in Thailand, at, uh, in, you know, I was in Bangkok, at the house um, where the monks live when they're coming down from the Isan, from the, the northeast, where the forest monks have their, their main monasteries. When they go through Bangkok, they stay at um, Damaram, I think it's called. And we had lunch, we made offerings, very, oh my gosh, the lay people. 
I show, I, remember I demonstrated when I came back, they walk on their knees. They don't even walk. They walk on their knees with trays of food and they bow first and they put it down and then they back off on their knees and Bante, may I offer you some milk in your tea? Yes, thank you. Very pure. And if a woman cannot come near, the monk has to put his cloth down in case he touches a woman's hand. Very pure. Very pure. Right? And after, it's very nice. It's very beautiful. The way the lay people support the monks. It's very, the, the lay people love to make offerings. When the meal is over, the monks take their bowls, stand up and they give the bowls to the young monks and they walk away. Brush their teeth and get ready. No transference. There is no jiazai. Why? They don't transfer merit. After every offering. It's not part of their tradition to say, Dang yuan chung sheng may every living being so wei bu shi zhe bi huo qi li ro wei le gu shi ho bi de an le fan shi yi qi ya dang yuan chung sheng so zo jie ban na ji zhu fo fa They don't. They who practice making offerings will certainly obtain their reward. They who take delight in giving will later surely find peace and happiness. Now that the meal has been concluded, we make a vow for all living beings. May they, take the, may they have success in all they do and be perfect in all Buddha dharmas. Don't do that. It's not part of their tradition to take that blessings with their mind and say, make a vow for all living beings, may they have success and be full of the Buddha Dharma. Perfect in all Buddha Dharmas, may their cultivation be perfect. It's just, it's a different way of looking at cultivation. What are they doing? They are eating, receiving offerings, because that's what you do for lay people, is let them plant blessings in you, the pure Sangha, and they're cultivating for liberation, to end birth and death. They want to end birth and death and be a model to inspire lay people to, in the future sometimes, you might be able to leave home if you have the blessings and you can do it. It's not the same. It's really different. And I saw that and I went, what's missing here? No transference. That's funny. Samantha Bhadra, Pushen Pusa says, universally transfer merit and virtue. I go up to the city of 10,000 Buddhas and lecture the 10 transferences chapter goes on forever describing how the Bodhisattva transfers merit with every act, every good root, every shangun of any kind. Namo Omitofo, may every living being go to the pure land. One recite, take one sound of the Buddha's name, you transfer the merit. Right? It's not part of the, 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 the Arhat tradition. So it came real to me when I saw in Dhammaram how what it's like to be a Theravada monk. Now, of course, it's not black and white. In the Theravada tradition, after a lecture, they go, may the goodness that arises from my practice and from this act of sharing, right? They do have a transference. And they do it regularly to say they don't ever transfer. If you go away tonight saying that, that's not true. And then somebody will correct me and say, why are you slandering the the Theravada tradition. All right. So, they do have a transference. 
and they do use it after a lecture, I'm saying it's not dedicated to the enlightenment of all living beings. May all desires and afflictions quickly cease and all harmful states of mind. They transfer to the gods. They transfer to parents like that. It's not the same as the bodhisattva who transfers for every living being's ultimate awakening and Buddhahood in every step. All right? So I want to clarify that. It's not black and white. It's that the way that you become an arhat is seeking liberation for yourself. Being criticized here. How interesting that it's being criticized. Right? You see this? It's stepping back and saying, here are the ten goods and the ten evils. If you cultivate those ten goods and do it with wisdom, you can go beyond the gods. But you're not home yet. That's what the sutra is saying. Look at that. Isn't that interesting? Here it's talking about the sage's path. Saying there are different levels in the sage's path. Go for the gold. Don't be satisfied with the bronze or the silver. Right? It's very much like Olympic medals. Right? The Bodhisattva gets the gold. The solitary Buddha gets the silver. And the Arhat, sound here, gets the bronze. You don't get to hear your country's national anthem on the podium. Right? Dun, 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 dun. The Bodhisattva gets to hear his national anthem, her national anthem. Standing on the podium, big gold medal. You know, that's the Bodhisattva path according to the Abhatamsaka Sutra. Isn't that interesting? Here's a critique of incredible goodness. Sound hearers, solitary Buddhas, incredibly good human beings, the best human being. They're still being critiqued because it's not the Bodhisattva path. How about that? It's like, huh. I find that really interesting, right? So I just, what are you reading? You're reading the sutra saying, wow, you can cultivate the ten good deeds to this place where you're not even a god. You're beyond. You're not a deva. You're out of the deva's realm. You've ended birth and death. Sorry, bronze medal. You don't make it yet. Let's go for the bodhisattva path. Okay? That's, that's what this is saying. That's, if you read into the sutra, that's what's being talked about. Way beyond the gods. If I were to lecture this in my Buddhist Christian dialogue class, whoa, the Christians would go, wait a minute, you're saying you go beyond God? I beg your pardon. How can you go beyond God? When you said you could become a god, I was disappointed. But now you go beyond God, I'm terrified. <laughs> Delusion. Megalomania. You're sick. You know. Your your theology is upside down. How arrogant. You know. Well, the Buddha wasn't arrogant. The Buddha was telling what he saw. The Buddha was describing another level of sacred geography. Where do you want to go? You want to go all the way to San Francisco? Don't stop in San Jose. You're not there yet. Keep going. You know. We all want to go to San Francisco, don't we? So, how interesting. So, the, the passage we read tonight, I was just catching up to where we started tonight. I haven't even gotten to tonight. Let's, let's look at it just quickly and then we'll, we'll be done for tonight. 
Furthermore, when the supreme grade of the ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated to purity, when one has not been taught by others but becomes enlightened on your own, when one is not fully endowed with great compassion or expedient means, when one is enlightened through understanding of profound dharmas and causes and conditions, one accomplishes the vehicle of those solitary enlightened. You're not a sound here. You are the next dharma realm category. You are a yuan jue, also called du jue. You're a solitary enlightened. You're a, a solitary Buddha. You're one awakened by conditions. In between arhat and bodhisattva, there's this other realm. It's a really interesting space that there, you know, we're talking about a level of spiritual accomplishment that is pretty much unknown. Who knows about solitary enlightened beings? It's a, it's, we don't know much about them, right? But here's the sutra saying, yeah, good, but not greatly compassionate. Somewhere in between. All right, we're going to tease you with that. Stop there, Keep, get you wondering. Next week, same time, same place. Let's come back and proceed to the next level of sage, the solitary awakened one. All right, then we get to the bodhisattva. Following that, it won't be next week, it'll be the following week, we have the uh, most interesting portion of Mahayana Sutras that I think I've ever heard. In all my <coughs> readings of Mahayana Sutras, there's this one section coming up in two weeks that talks about cause and effect in the most concrete way. It says, you've heard it, you've heard me talk about it a lot. It says, if you kill, you can lose your human body. If you come back as a human being, you get two retributions. Having killed, you didn't lose your human body, you're still a human, but there are two retributions. What? One, you're sick a lot. Two, short life. That's coming up. And then it goes through all the ten, and it gives the retributions for breaking the ten good deeds, committing the ten evil deeds, and getting a human body back, but not a very good life. Why? Sick a lot, short lifespan. Die young. Why? Because you killed. You flip it over, and what do you get? This is what's so neat about the sutra. These principles are supposed to be like a beating heart. They go bump, 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 bump. The sutra is like lungs. What do lungs do? They go... They move, they're dynamic. Flip that principle over. It says, if you kill and you're a human in this lifetime, you're sick a lot, lots of illness, and you die young, flip it over. If you create the conditions to give life, if you help other people live by feeding them, by taking care of them and making them healthy, what happens? Free of sickness, long life. So if you want to be healthy and long-lived, give life. Cherish life. Don't kill. Not only don't kill, make it possible for others to live. Go 
with lots of food in your trunk and feed people. Give food away, you will be healthy and live a long time. Kill, you'll have a lot of illness, you'll die young. That's why this section is so completely concrete. And it goes like that through all ten deeds. Okay, that's coming up. Previews of coming attractions. Don't miss it. Be here. Those of you joining us online, don't miss it. It's unforgettable section of the Avatamsaka Sutra. The second ground, cause and effect. Very cool. Okie doke. Why don't we transfer the merit and we'll talk about what's coming up this week. Did uh, any of you read my Dharma Forest blog recently? This is Mary Rose, the very guitar that I wrote about. She sounds amazing. So please turn to the dedication of merit there in your text. And here's our chance. This is our the uh, act that makes bodhisattvas different from sound hearers and Pracheka Buddhas. The transference. And again, the transference is up to you. It's however you want to transfer the merit. It's totally your giving. And the principle is that we're all connected and we're all connected through our minds, through the air, through the waves that travel from thoughts. So if you use your thoughts to to benefit then it's your goodness that you're creating all right here we go
good, isn't it? Um, I just had an inspiration. Originally, uh, I was going to show slides of my trip, but could somebody bring the Christmas stocking from the kitchen? Um, this is Christmas Eve, and I just had a thought. Would somebody mind passing out the songbooks? Do you know where they... Can you get them? I would rather edit the slides and trim them down because right now there's still like a hundred million slides and they're kind of, you know, I'd rather trim them down and, and show them to you next week when they're like 50 with the stories and tonight sing Dharma carols because it's Christmas Day and like next week it's going to be New Year's Day and these don't fit. Tonight's the night, and I have a Christmas stocking story. My Dharma Master Hungshur's Christmas stocking story, which I have to tell every year. And this is the perfect chance to do it. Open your Christmas, your Dharma Carols songbook to page 58. Page 58. Thank you. You all know Little Town of Bethlehem. You all know the tune? You guys are all up in your Christmas carols. Not? How many, just for fun, how many people went caroling at some time in their childhood? When four hands, oh my goodness, five hands. Okay, good. That's a good experience. Christmas caroling is a wholesome practice one of the best parts of Christmas of all the things that uh, I kind of miss if there was anything I missed being a Buddhist and not a Christian anymore would be Christmas carols because they're very um, Christmas carols are it's kind of like in the Chinese Vietnamese world you remember Guanyin There's parts of Lunar New Year's that I, I think every child remembers. What would it be? Getting the Hong Bao from Grandma? Is that it? Yeah. Oh, I hit it. When Grandma gives you those red envelopes as a kid. How much was in it, usually? Depends on Grandma's generosity or how old you are. So that was... That was a special time. Likewise, uh, growing up as a Christian, you learn those Christmas carols. And they're, they're very nice. They're, it's a special time. You only do them that time of the year. So here we go. How about... Oh, western land of utmost bliss, how pure we see thee Your lotus flowers gave Purify the vows of. 
the one of limitless light saves everyone who says his name reborn in pure delight that's a dharma carol come on okay let's try it again O western land of utmost bliss, how pure we see thee lie. Your lotus flowers give birth to us, our karma purified. The vows of Amitabha, the limitless light saves everyone who says his name reborn in pure delight all right that's a dharma carol the next one you all know no excuse no excuse see Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, thy branches green and merry. I don't know. There we go. You all know? It's O Tannenbaum. These are mostly German, right? Stilnacht, German silent night, right? So O Tannenbaum is O Christmas tree. Let's see, let's get a good pitch key for this. Oh, 
Zabaton. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You know what a Zabaton is? You're sitting on one. Zabatons. Okay? Japanese for futan, right? Futan. This this is a futan. What's the flat one in Chinese? Futan. Right? Okay. That's a zabaton. It's Japanese for a flat sitting cushion. Ready? Oh, here we go. Up, up, up. Oh, Zabuton, oh, Zabuton, thy kindness is substantial. I sit upon thee day and night with folded legs and ankles. Thy kapok saves my knees from pain. Through hot and cold you don't complain. Oh, Zabuton, oh, Zabuton, compassion's insulation. That's a Dharma carol, right? Grateful for kindness. It keeps you from hurting. How about, here we come a wassailing? You all know this one, of course. Here we come a wassailing among the leaves so green. Here we come a wassailing so fair to be seen. Love and joy come to you and to you. Uh, and the Buddha send you a happy new year and send you a happy new year. That's here we come a wassailing. Wassailing means Christmas cheer, right? So here we go. Ready? Here we come to meditate among tea leaves so green. Here we come to meditate so fair to be seen. Peace and joy come to you. Please perfect your wisdom too. May the Buddhas bestow on you a happy new year. May they send you a happy new year. That's a Dharma care. The next one is, we'll pass the next one because we've got to tell the story. This is, I saw two monks from I saw two ships. Mm. We'll leave that one for another Christmas. But. Okay, so there we are. I sure like the way this guitar sounds. Huh? going to invite Ginger to tell you about his trip. I went with a monk. Yeah, boy, did I see a lot of, oh, I travel a lot. Australia, New Zealand, Singapore. Singapore, I spoke Chinese. Oh, yeah. So he, he wants me to translate for him. He was able to speak Chinese in Singapore. He was proud of that. Yeah. So, but I'll tell you about that next next week, all right? And uh, also, uh, I was going to introduce some friends. I made some new friends, little ones. There, right here. There's, there they are. That's a lorikeet. <laughs> Hi. You want to show them your stuff? Yeah. 
What do you want to show them? How we fly in Australia. How do you fly? That's how you meditate, right? Yeah. Go ahead, show them your stuff. All right, here goes. I don't think they got it. That's all right. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Next week. Next week. That's it. There you go. It's called flying meditation. That's what we do our kids do. We fly. This is a tough audience, isn't it? That's all right. Don't worry about it. Okay, there you go. That's a lorikeet. There are two of them. They're called the Bird Brothers. And, uh, yeah, we'll introduce you next week. We'll tell you all about them. Okay, done? Right. Back to sleep? Yeah. Okay. So that's Ginger's. He's going to... What it's like to be a tiger in Australia. Okay. So, my story for Christmas Eve is goes like this. And it's the, the Christmas Eve story, if you're unsure, which is... This is a Christmas stocking. This is not the original Christmas stocking, but it's a Christmas stocking. It says my name right here. This arrived recently. I had a Christmas stocking growing up, and uh, it was the custom in most families of that generation to give the kids Christmas stockings, and you hung them up on the mantle. If you had a fireplace, you had a mantle. We had a fireplace in my house. Most houses did because it's cold in the Midwest. Fireplace, mantle, it's the wooden surrounding around the fireplace. And you took your Christmas stocking and you pinned it up on Christmas Eve and you came down on Christmas morning and, of course, it was full of stuff. Baseballs and harmonicas and candy bars and things you liked, right? So my mom made a stocking for me and my brother and then later one for my sister, too. And it had your name on it. And it was really nice. And I would, every Christmas from five years old, hanging up on the mantle. And the morning is full of stuff. It's part of Christmas, Christmas stocking. So I became a graduate student. I left home, left, left my house to become a graduate student in California. One way or the other, that Christmas stocking found its way into my suitcase. Don't ask me how. Here I am, UC Berkeley, grad student, Christmas stocking, looking at it. Well, you can't throw it away. It's got your name on it. It's been there part of your life. What do you do? You bring it with you. Now, instead of baseballs and bubble gum, it's now, you know, like rolls of film and keys to the Mercedes and, you know, things that graduate students can use. So, um, carried it with me. Time to leave home. Become a monk. Somehow the Christmas stocking found its way into my backpack that I took with me to Gold Mountain Monastery for my first retreat, my first Amitabha retreat in the monastery. So it's like, okay, I'm now... It's Christmas holidays. Gold Mountain Monastery... I'm a grad student, I'm about to leave home. I've already committed and I'm living in the monastery for the Amitabha session. First time I've actually committed, I'm going to sneeze, <coughs> first time I've committed to a retreat. All right. I got my Christmas stocking because it's going to be Christmas Eve, first night of the Amitabha session. What do you do? So I'm thinking... I'm a Buddhist now, and it's a Christian holiday, so I, what am I going to do with a stocking? 
I don't want to throw it away. It's got too many, it's got my whole life, you know. So here's what I'll do. I'll hang it up outside my door of my dormitory room at Gold Mountain Monastery's third floor and I'll let the other layman rip it up for me and throw it in the garbage. I can't do it myself, but I'll hang it out. They'll see it and they'll rip it up because it's, it's Christian, right? That's the best way to deal with it. I'll let them deal with it. So I'll get up in the morning and that's the last of my Christmas stocking. <sighs> that's how I'll get rid of it. I don't have to do it myself. Let them do it. All right. So, you know, it's like go to sleep, hang it up outside, goodbye Christmas stocking. So, pop, here's the sound, 3, 3.45 a.m., the morning boards, got to get up, oh, 3.45, okay, so I stumble out of the dark, get my flashlight, put on my clothes, and think, Christmas stocking, okay, well, I better get a broom to clean up the pieces on the floor, so I open the door, and I look, there's my Christmas stocking, stuffed full, recitation beads, Buddha images, baozi, tea leaves, you know, like little sutras wrapped up. And I look at it and my heart breaks because I think, why did you think that Buddhists are like everybody else and they're going to hate your religion, you're just too small. That's called compassion. Not only do they want you here, they don't mind your Christmas stocking. They'll use it to teach you the Dharma. So I looked at that and I thought, oh man, I don't understand great compassion at all. My heart is just too small. So I go downstairs and I'm kind of feeling, you know, gee, I have a lot to learn about Buddhism. These people are really big-hearted, you know. I had a Christmas stocking full of Dharma gifts, right? So I go downstairs, come around the corner to join Zhao Ke, and here's Master Xuanhua, standing there, Shifu standing there, right in my way, big smile. He says, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I walk around the Buddha with tears going down my face. You know, it's like, oh, so this is how Buddhists behave. Omitofo. So that was my my Christmas stocking story. And now I have another one I opened up today. And uh, this is big enough for both feet. <laughs> so um, as for the Christmas stocking, I should tell you, um, I went through like two more years, same thing, they filled it with stuff. Then a layman came in and for the retreat and brought his son. He was just trying out the Dharma for the first time. Guess what his son's name was? Chris. My name. So I said, that's your son? He said, yeah. I said, you think he'd like a Christmas stocking? He went, yeah. So he's got his name on it. So my Christmas stocking is somewhere on some mantle in some some other home. So anyway, that's the Christmas stocking story. And Buddhists need big hearts, man. Not fighting with other religions, because just they're different. 